Uh, welcome to this call to discuss the evolution of digital and the way forward. Our guest today is Mr. Rajan Kohli, President at Wipro Digital. Having spent 25 years at Wipro, he is an all-out Wiproite. He became head of the business in 2015 and prior to this he led banking and financial services for three years. He was also the chief marketing officer at Wipro prior to this and he held multiple leadership roles uh, before this. Uh, welcome Rajan and thanks for taking time out to do this call. Thank you Nathan. Uh, as a disclaimer, uh, we will not discuss the quarter uh, during this call and uh, request that any Q&A be restricted to the topic of this call. So we'll start with a chat with uh, uh, Mr. Kohli and then open it up for uh, Q&A. Uh, so, uh, uh, Rajan, just to pick up, uh, if you could take us through Wipro uh, Digital's journey so far, uh, from the initial build-out, uh, the structures, uh, the organization structures, and how you build the sales and delivery teams, and how have things evolved uh, as an organization? Sure. Uh, thank you, Nathan, and uh, welcome everyone on the call. Uh, I'm happy to take you through this journey and talk uh, about uh, the digital evolution. So about uh, five years back, uh, when we started Wipro Digital, uh, before that, uh, obviously, we had uh, started these service lines. You know, different competitors were beginning to call them by different names, Smack, Advanced Technology. But essentially, all the pieces of the puzzle which were digital uh, from a technology point of view. But Wipro's position at that time was that we don't want to just club all of these together and call it Wipro Digital or something, something else because essentially what we are doing is not building something new. So we made a concerted effort to first identify what are the things that we don't have today but are essential to success and create, creating differentiation in the market moving forward. Uh, and essentially not trying to respond to the market of today, but looking two, three, four years ahead and thinking about what is it the clients will want. We identified a few things uh, and we decided that rather than build these in existing service line because they're so different and they're so unique and we run the risk of killing them before they even grow, let's incubate them in a new group called Wipro Digital. Uh, the skills that we and the capabilities uh, that we identified, one was design. Uh, and this is not just sort of painting front-end screens. This is really deep strategic design. You call it design thinking. You call it service design. But it includes all of that. It's very high-end uh, consulting-led design uh, work. So that, that was one capability. Second, uh, we were also clear that the way the talent has been built in the SI world, where people have grown in a siloed technology way. So if somebody was delivering .NET, they continue to deliver .NET. Somebody was doing front-end, they continue to do front-end. That's not necessarily uh, the model for success when clients start talking about full-stack agile teams. Uh, so we created a new t uh, style of engineering uh, and created a structure that actually enabled people to learn in that way and rewarded people for staying developers rather than trying to become managers. And the third thing we said that we will need is this new way of working and new way of thinking. And that is the reason we started Wipro Digital as a small unit because there's no way we can create that new thinking in multi-billion dollar businesses if it is not hardened uh, in a small startup, proven that it can survive and thrive, and then scaled. 
So that was the journey we were on. And after we did this for two and a half years, then we started moving other parts of Wipro uh, into Wipro Digital uh, to the current form of Wipro Digital, where Wipro Digital is almost 25% of the company. And uh, up to the first part of uh, last year, we were responsible for almost half of Wipro's growth, uh, you know, from, from this 25% uh, of uh, the business. And uh, while we build these capabilities around design, around deep engineering and this new way of working, uh, our emphasis was that we provide like an overlay across all the other Wipro service lines. So that if there is ability for us to do end-to-end -end programs that include other service lines, we should have incentive, and those service lines should have incentive to work with Wipro Digital. So we created like a double bubble uh, in the first three years of uh, Wipro Digital growth, so that other service lines would want to work with Wipro Digital, bring in the capabilities that they have without fearing that they will lose out something by working with Wipro Digital. So it was like a double bubble. So we were like a vertical to the service lines, but essentially we are a service lines working with all Wipro verticals across the board. Uh, second, we uh, we also wanted to create a new sort of sub-brand uh, as Wipro Digital. So this is the only sub-brand that Wipro has. No other business unit or service line of Wipro has a sub-brand like this. And the idea was that we'll create a new market for Wipro, uh, largely outside the CIO office, because about three to four years back, uh, it became quite essential that unless you have a presence outside CIO office, uh, either you will not have access to those budgets or because those budgets will get influenced by business, you may tend to lose uh, if you do not have that recall. And, you know, it's hard to tell clients, hey, we are different, but we are Wipro. But if you say we are Wipro Digital, it becomes easier for them to understand what are the differences. Uh, and with that, we created a new brand. And uh, now, of course, uh, we are quarter of a company. And that has helped us uh, both uh, sort of... Uh, underline that brand presence and also prove to our clients uh, that uh, we are somebody that they can rely on for more high-end work. And uh, lastly, our hypothesis at that time was that uh, clients will want to work with somebody who provides a full continuum of capability, which means that you can answer the why, the what, the how, and then also do it. Uh, but you are not just an execution player and have somebody else do the why and the what and the how. Uh, clients were wanting to do an end-to-end. -end. They didn't want to get a consulting advice from a strategy firm or go to a boutique company for innovation and then go to a large-scale system integrator player. If they could do it with one firm, they would do it. Uh, and uh, that hypothesis is also true, and that's why we started building all these other capabilities in Wipro Digital so that we can provide a full continuum to our clients under Wipro Digital. Look at uh, Wipro as a whole, uh, uh, we call out 42% of our revenues as digital revenues. And uh, uh, from uh, I, I think over the years, uh, we have acquired Aperio, Designate, Cooper, and, and put them into the Wipro digital entity, uh, um, uh, as you highlighted. And I think, so if we go forward, uh, if you look at the 25% that Wipro digital does and the 42% that we speak about as a company. Uh, do you think each, all these revenues will, as an overlay, sort of get into Wipro Digital over a period of time? 
and uh, the second part of the question is how is wipro digital wired with the rest of the company and do you think existing structures and incentives sort of allow uh, you to harness the whole uh, uh, bit of what you seek to achieve okay it's a good question because it helps me clarify the difference between wipro digital and digital ecosystem as well so when we started wipro digital 5 years back uh, we had zero revenue uh, so we started with absolutely nothing uh, but we knew that our brand will be bigger than our revenue and uh, that we will have to influence much bigger revenue than what we started with and uh, we weren't obviously reporting the prodigal revenue separately because a lot of it was double bubble so we were working with other service lines of the pro and we were reporting the revenue of other service lines of the pro so we created digital ecosystem which basically essentially was the digital paths of every service line uh, and i was governing that uh, you know even though operationally they were being run by the individual service lines so every service line we identified practices or sub practices within those service lines which are digital uh, so if it's a data practice you know maybe they have some legacy data warehousing capabilities some bi capabilities but they have some big data capabilities and data engineering capabilities which are digital uh, so every service line had the imperative to grow the digital part of their business uh, because the non digital part would obviously keep coming down because clients would not buy the legacy paths anymore uh, and that's why we kept reporting the digital ecosystem number uh, and over that period of time both from organic growth uh, and then organic shift from within wipro and the inorganic acquisitions of wipro we have now come to the stage where we are now about 2.1 billion dollar so in our current avatar now uh, we are fully organized like a service line uh, of wipro uh, so we do not have uh, any other double bubble now nor is it needed because we are substantial scale substantial heft uh, so we don't need to incentivate anybody else to work with us because they need to work with us anyways now uh, for the capabilities that we have uh, and we work as a service line but we have a very strong uh, practice sales team uh, who who still work with the vertical sales and the G, uh, global client partners but they have the ability to create market uh, of their own uh, the many cases where we sort of work uh, very directly with clients and then bring them in uh, but we always operate through the vertical and the vertical construct uh, of pro uh, we also focus a lot on partners Uh, uh you know that has been a substantial focus for us because our our partners also want to tap into the digital capabilities of the pro digital because they also see that as differentiating whether some cases it's design some cases it's consulting uh, sometimes it's mix of both sometimes the new ways of working but uh, that that's a big focus for us to continue to work with our, our partners uh, so now we we managed by ob we managed by revenue Uh, as a service line we are managed uh, by the costs and the investments that we have sure now uh, so one one more point nitin you talked of acquisition i think that was another important point why we created this wipro digital construct because we realized that we will make a lot of digital type style acquisitions which may be small which if we try to integrate them in the way we've always integrated acquisitions we may fail and we may actually destroy value 
So we had a very good construct uh, where we acquired these small companies, preserved uh, who they were, uh, and sort of harmonized functions, but decided what are the paths that we don't want to integrate so that we can help them uh, keep their culture and thrive. Sure. Uh, that's helpful. Um, so I think the whole uh, thesis of Wipro Digital initially to start with was to sort of build relationships with CXOs and sort of expand on those. And I, I think off late there's been a lot of noise about, uh, you know, the buyer relationship shifting back to the CIOs with CIOs becoming uh, more powerful uh, versus what they were a few years ago. Um, uh, great if you can throw some light there in terms of what is happening and how does this sort of, uh, what exactly is happening and how does this impact the thing? Yeah, that's a good question because even uh, we read uh, a lot of those uh, reports which talked of demise of the CIO uh, and there was a huge uh, shift of uh, investment pool or budget pool which had started moving outside the CIO. It was happening because the CIO function could not provide the services that business needed. Uh, business was finding easy ways to invest in SaaS type players where initially it looked like very low cost, uh, the entry barriers were very low, uh, but you know they soon realized that without uh, a strategy behind it, without the full IT organization behind it, uh, this was running like a shadow uh, IT, which uh, helped them do a few things, but when you have to do end-to-end -end transaction or provide more value-added services to your customer, you really need to integrate it back to the main IT, they were running into problems. And uh, also the cost, uh, which seemed low, because it wasn't thought through at the enterprise level, when you add up all these small costs, it was beginning to balloon up. Uh, so that was the reason why shadow IT didn't work. Uh, at the same time, the CIOs realized that uh, they need to get better aligned with business. Uh, so, you know, you may have heard this, you know, create value streams or reorganize as product management uh, companies. But essentially what happened was CIO became much uh, more closer, more closely aligned to business, uh, which means that, that they had the power to spend, uh, even though business uh, had a much bigger seat at the table uh, in those decisions. So they couldn't, the CIO couldn't just decide big things by themselves, but they got the budget rather than that budget going out of uh, their pocket. So that's what has happened. Uh, so because of the fact that now uh, client, uh, our businesses need to modernize the core, uh, they can't just work on the front end or on the edges because uh, they need to do, be able to provide meaningful experiences to their end customers. Hence, uh, if they have to modernize the core, if they have to cloudify, the core enterprise parts of their business, CIO will get a seat at the table. Second, the CIO has, as, as I said, uh, aligned themselves much better with business. So business feels that uh, you know CIO has their best interest. And third, and not, last but not the least, the whole concern around security, uh, cyber security. You know, uh, uh, people losing data. That is a huge threat which has also clamped down uh, these shadow IT type spends and brought the CIO and the chief risk officers and chief security officers quite very much into the mix 
and uh, allowed the CIO to control uh, this particular spend. Sure. Uh, do you think this in some form uh, makes negotiations harder uh, with the CIO now playing a bigger part uh, when it comes to deal closures? And uh, do you think that uh, uh, when it comes to, uh, 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 let's say, the velocity of deal closures, it sort of slows down because of this uh, additional uh, sort of push from the CIO? Uh, I don't know if it has uh, made negotiations easier or difficult, uh, but it has put more power in the hand of the CIO, so obviously they have more buying power. But because we have a better brand with the CIO, uh, in many cases, uh, you know, the, the business new strategy firms or consulting firms much more than the system integration firms. Uh, we were not in the room or we had not so great negotiating power with the businesses. Uh, so to that extent, it balances out because now with the CIO, we also have a lot more things at stake. So it's a much more collaborative uh, conversation uh, because they rely on us, we rely on them. Uh, I think from a speed of decision making, uh, I don't think that is a function of power moving into or out of the CIO. Uh, now, of course, with COVID, it's a slightly uh, different scenario. Uh, but uh, I, I think speed is a function of the organization and how organization is organized. It, on the whole, I think the smarter CIOs, I think we, we have to look at this world as uh, CIOs who are much more closely aligned with business, CIOs who are not so closely aligned with business. CIOs who are closely aligned with business, in their mind, uh, cost is table stakes. Uh, they believe velocity trumps cost. You will get the cost point through efficiency, uh, but you have to gear and you have to organize your IT and your partners to allow you to get velocity because the business cares about how many products they can launch, how many function points they can uh, deliver. Uh, and obviously, you have to deliver them at the most efficient cost, which you will get if you organize yourself in scaled agile teams. Uh, whereas the IT, who's still running as a old shared services type organization, they worry only about cost. So they will worry about, can I bring down the cost per widget? Not necessarily thinking about, can I reduce the number of widgets? Uh, so that's a big difference between how the CIOs think. Sure, that's uh, very helpful. Uh, just an add-on to that. So, do you think uh, the much smaller firms who have, you know, of the past many years, sort of focused on CXOs and sort of eating away uh, into business? Uh, do, do you think that puts this whole dynamic puts larger firms at a at an advantage versus the smaller firms? So, I think that that probably has changed with COVID more than in the past. So uh, in, be, before COVID, I think uh, the small and medium firms, because capability and skills had big premium, uh, clients would still you know, look at uh, smaller firms favorably. No, I mean, not at the expense of larger firms, but 
because talent was at premium and you know getting access to talent wherever you could you would do it uh, but post covid i think things have changed a little because uh, clients have uh, realized that they can't depend upon too many partners having too many partners exposes them to too many risks uh, and uh, also they have realized that some of the smaller partners were not necessarily able to cope up with uh, you know this work from home the cyber security needs and all the other process overhead that will come into play uh, post covid so i think now it definitely helps uh, uh, larger player but i will also not just say large but players who have earned trust because one thing you cannot do now in this 3 month period is build additional trust uh, because you know you're not meeting clients physically uh, those forums where you build trust uh, are not there the trust is being built on what have we delivered for them in the past and how we responded to when they were you know when they needed us in the last 3 months Uh, so that that shifts obviously uh, a lot of uh, power in the hands of uh, large providers who work very closely with the CIO. Sure. Um, uh, Rajin, the second thing I wanted to check with you was, I think as we are coming out of this COVID situation, I think one thing that sort of stood out is if we take retailers, those who didn't have very strong uh, digital channels, uh, really fell uh, back. and uh, and it looks like going forward people there will be some shedding of the physical and a little more in favor of digital so as that happens maybe retailers maybe manufacturers do you think these industries which were so heavy on physical and as they shift out uh, do you think that excess cash flow will actually drive up the uh, technology spend as a percentage of revenue which was usually 2 3% uh, that it could so possibly driven higher going forward yeah i i i i think in the medium to long term uh, digital will get uh, significantly higher spend uh, obviously the total amount of money uh, a company spends will be a function of their health and the cash that they have but from the money that they do spend uh, the percentage of spend that goes to digital will be extremely high uh because they have realized during the last 3 months uh, you know we call them anti fragile companies uh, these are companies that have streamlined processes uh, where they have simplified their middle office uh, their environment modernized the core they rely very heavily on data and insights and cognitive uh, so they can overcome these shocks and the changes of strategies changes of supply chain much faster than others so they don't break when others break essentially so that's why they called anti fragile companies so all companies would want to become anti fragile uh, they realized that the companies who were able to pivot to uh, digital much faster now uh, obviously it is hard for a company over the last two months to develop new dna if they already didn't have that dna but if you have the dna you can offer new services built on those platforms and that's what they did so uh, companies like uh, chipotle i don't know if you know uh, you know they are a fast food player uh, during the lockdown period their stock actually went up or they were pretty much at their highest the reason being 
during normal time 20% of their uh, orders were coming from the mobile app during lockdown 80% of their orders were coming through mobile app right so they always had the mobile app uh, they added some new features etc to make it safe for people to pick up uh, the orders and they were able to pivot very fast uh, so companies are now going to realize that they have to invest in digital uh, digital is not a channel digital is not a, a option digital is how you run your business uh, and you you can then throttle how much of it happens in physical how much of it happens in digital but the core has to be built on digital and that's where why i feel very confident that the spend on modernization spend on cloud spend on redesigning uh, the processes and systems and uh, the spend on actually simplifying the engagements system of engagements between the consumers and the companies they will get uh, and and cybersecurity at the last will get significant spend so i just wanted to clarify the point that uh, you know nitin also brought up earlier in terms of uh, the pro digital be 25% uh, Uh, of the company, whereas uh, the pros digital revenue classification is forty two percent. So, what exactly constitutes that remaining seventeen percent? I I didn't I couldn't understand that very clearly. Yeah, so I'll give you a few examples. So uh, there are uh, there are service lines which have digital practices, which are not obviously part of the pro digital. So I'll give you two examples. Uh, one is our uh, industrial engineering and services (IES). right uh, there are parts of their business around iot uh, and there are other parts but i am giving you an example of iot which are part of digital ecosystem right so because they work very closely with the rest of the parts of the pro digital and are offering digital services to their clients which get tagged and counted as digital ecosystem similarly cloud and infrastructure services the infrastructure business of the pro which is a huge business of the pro Uh, has digital parts within their business uh, so as we move clients on cloud uh, using cloud as infrastructure as a service uh, or create private clouds for our clients that is counted as digital ecosystem revenue and that's why we have the 41% uh, uh, but but then we continue to work with uh, you know uh, apiria which part of uh, the project yes, apiru right? is also part of yes apiru is also part of digital ecosystem good comment okay okay got it and uh, just in terms of the way the evolution has happened uh, for digital uh, services uh, do you think at some because wipro digital is sort of incubating all of these newer services and some of these acquisitions acquisitions that you spoke about which is still smaller Uh, but over a period of time, is there a thought process that some of these can then go back to the uh, original uh, sort of structure where the service lines themselves have these uh, as they become larger and you continue to sort of incubate what could be the next big thing in the coming three four years? Is there a thought process like that? Uh, I I think so. There was a reason we didn't move some of these other parts of service line into Wipro Digital because on their own. they address a slightly different market right and their buyers are slightly different uh, and the skills that they leverage to build digital capabilities within their uh, teams are slightly different so physically many of them will stay wherever we felt that they uh, were more closely aligned with the pro digital 
we have been moving and uh, i think there possibly could be more movement as we see market evolve but at this this time uh, we are not necessarily focused on moving other service lines into wipro digital because we believe that every service line should become digital because clients will not invest in uh, legacy but what that digital means for every service line will be contextual to the service that they offer right so that's why we allowed all service lines uh, the mission to grow into digital versus saying okay you will only do legacy and there is this other part of the pro which will only do digital we felt that will obviously not be the right way to do uh, but we then sort of wherever we felt that the overlap was higher we started moving that under wipro digital to provide sort of one uh, one entry for clients to work with sorry no i understood that what i meant to ask was the other way around so let's say if uh, you have incubated a pro since time you acquired it and you uh, you know it's become large is that merit and sort of moving it back within the uh, not back but moving it into the infra business itself where the other cloud uh, related services reside uh, so i was talking about things moving from wipro digital back into the service line so that you continue to focus on things which are up and coming and which will be larger in the next few years uh, especially because you don't have the you know obviously the reporting pressures also so wipro digital still is not covered as separate line item so you could continue to scale up yeah. and scale down as you wish uh, in the future right? so that was my question yeah you yeah, know okay now i understand so actually uh, aperio has moved under cloud enterprise uh, platform uh, which is where our oracle our sap and uh, now aperio salesforce business sits but the reason it moves there is because it is more closely aligned with the saas type players so oracle sap uh, so enterprise application play uh, so we are not moving uh, things because of size but more because we believe that strategically it fits better that space so we are creating an organization more uh, looking at the outside world how are the clients buying because one thing that we realized and this is why wipro digital originally was started in the first place that clients will not buy uh, unique services anymore they want to solve a particular business challenge uh, and hence Uh, rather than show them hey i have these 10 service lines i can do testing i can do cyber security i can do data uh, engineering i can do xyz which was the old way service lines were operating we need to provide more integrated services so wherever we can integrate we integrate uh, so that we sort of prefabricate those uh, service lines into one but even if they are not physically sitting they have uh, the reason to work with each other Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so uh, uh, I had a housekeeping question and uh, one um, uh, main question. Uh, so the housekeeping question was, uh, uh, how do you split uh, the uh, digital organization uh, as far as uh, interactive experience, uh, data insight, and uh, core modernization is concerned? Uh, so would it be fair to say that uh, the inherent strengths of uh, Wipro Digital Uh, would be primarily uh, uh, on the uh, core modernization side of it, or uh, do we have sort of uh, strong capabilities uh, in the front-ended parts of uh, experience and insight as well? 
so that is one and second and more important question is that as far as core modernization is uh, concerned there are two invariable parts to it uh, one is uh, basically uh, uh, moving uh, workloads applications to the cloud so the migration part of it but the bigger part bigger opportunity over a period of time uh, would basically be rebuilding and repurposing these applications uh, in a cloud native construct right uh, uh, rebuilding them in a devops agile uh, microservices api kind of a construct so i, I was wondering that uh, in a post covid world uh, even though given remote work uh, work from home uh, migration may uh, get accelerated as a theme Uh, but would it be fair to say that the rebuild and repurpose in a cloud native construct basically gets uh, deferred quite a bit to answer your first question wipro digital has very strong capabilities both in core modernization as well as the front end interactive uh, in fact when wipro digital was started 5 years back it was started from the front end interactive design point of view uh, so we have very strong capabilities both acquired through designit and cooper and sift and also built internally uh, and uh, we integrated about two and a half years back we integrated with pros mobile and ux capability under the pro digital so it's very integral part of the pro digital for the last two and a half years uh, and the core modernization has been obviously a big theme and uh, fastest growing part of uh, our business over the last two years uh, so th- those are there uh, data uh, sits as part of our di group but works very closely with the pro digital because a lot of places where we do transformation data is core to it uh, so we we work very closely uh, with that group uh, in terms of your question on core modernization uh, over the last 2 years the fastest growing part of the pro digital has been uh, the modernization piece and we don't make the money out of migration that's very less uh, and that sort of our infrastructure team gets a large part of that and you know application gets something but uh, our value and money and revenues really come from when clients rewrite uh, or build cloud native applications on platforms like uh, aws azure google uh, so that's where our larger part of revenues comes from microservices api and uh, using the apps services now uh, post covid in the immediate bit uh, certainly uh, clients because they are cash constrained uh, may look at migration more as a short term uh, without sort of rebuild but over the last several years clients know that for them to truly leverage cloud just migration is not enough if they don't repurpose rewrite reimagine uh, and leverage the native capabilities that the cloud platforms provide then they are really not being very effective uh, so we are coming up with the new models we call them zero cost transformation models where we can sort of invest upfront with them and then take uh, the value out during the subsequent phases because uh, because their their issue is cash their issue isn't that they don't think there is return on investment and that too also i feel is a very short term issue uh, we we are already seeing clients now beginning to make more medium to long term decision making uh, because in their mind and in our minds the true value of cloud is really when they actually uh, rewrite and reimagine fair enough uh, that's very helpful 
uh, one uh, uh, incremental question from my side. Uh, how do you extract value from a uh, uh, partner ecosystem uh, and uh, uh, building the client ecosystem, uh, building the uh, ecosystem of partners that way? Uh, because, uh, uh, like you said, uh, that a digital uh, partner ecosystem is inherently distinct from the SAP Oracle heavy uh, uh, ecosystem that we used to have in the traditional applications world. And I'm presuming that uh, all of the leading uh, companies will have access uh, to a similar ecosystem, whether it's ServiceNow, CloudAir, and so on and so forth, right? So so if, yeah. if a similar sort of stack is available to a wider base of players, including Wipro, uh, how do you build differentiation out of it? Yeah, I think it's a good question. So uh, the reason why I believe, and there may be obviously other players who may also claim to this, and it is possible that more than one people, um, more than one competitors feel that they have the strength of relationship. But uh, nobody will dispute that uh, partners would want to work more with players who can combine the why and the what along with actually being able to do it. Because most of these technology companies don't have the why and the what. They have technology. Uh, and they need a partner to implement the technology, but most of the time are not able to influence either the CXO suite and definitely not the business suite on the why and the what, and they don't have the domain capability or the context of the industry. So we believe we bring, bring that quite effectively. Second, uh, going back to the point I made earlier around the current scenario where clients want to conserve cash, uh, it is possible that they don't want to spend upfront in those licenses. And we have worked effectively with many of our partners to convert them into as a, as a service model, where we'll work with them, break them uh, into monthly payouts for our customers based on usage. Uh, and last, uh, if the clients are going to pay by usage, it's in our joint interest, both the partner and Wipro, to be able to then increase usage. And the usage can increase if you have the better design capability, which means you're able to design experiences, design solutions and services for business uh, where they, they want to use these services, uh, where these services uh, create new features that uh, further increase uh, the usage and sort of a vicious cycle of better feature, increased usage, increased consumption uh, through better design. Uh, and better uh, insight through the data that you're collecting. So that's why I feel that, uh, you know, partners work very closely with Wipro Digital. And uh, over the last two years, as more and more parts of Wipro application service lines have moved under Wipro Digital, uh, I can see the difference that we are making working closely with these partners. Uh, how do you compare the current business conditions with GFC? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I, I think there, there are few similarities, but more differences. I think the few similarities were the, the immediate nature of impact uh, and, uh, you know, the one industry, financial services, was massively impacted by both. Uh, but I think uh, there are more differences, I believe. Uh, this one ha has more uncertainty attached to it uh, because you know it is a human humanitarian crisis right so uh, till we find a more 
sustainable solution to health, uh, we will still continue to see the impact. Uh, second, uh, you know, uh, this one uh, cuts across all the businesses. There is hardly a business, I would say, other than possibly health and to some extent tech, uh, which is less impacted, but all other industries are massively impacted uh, by it. Uh, so to that extent, uh, it is more broad-based. Uh, I, I feel that this one not me, and I don't want to talk uh, in terms of Wipro because I can't give or don't want to give any forward guidance. But I think this, uh, if people are thinking that they can use the same template like GFC, uh, that is possibly not the right approach. Uh, second, and lastly, after GFC, you know, we went back exactly to what we were doing, right? Yeah, we maybe became more cost conscious, but fundamentally we didn't change the way we were doing business or the way we were operating. This one uh, will fundamentally change things, you know. Just to give you a few examples, uh, of what, what I mean fundamentally change. I talked about, you know, reliance on digital. Uh, there's a fundamental shift uh, because anybody who's tracking the online market, 27% penetration on online buying now versus just eight weeks back of 16%. And it took us 20 years to get to that 16% and took us two months to get from 16% to 27%. We are not going back to 16% for sure uh, when things open up. We may come down to 24%, but we are not going to uh, 16%. Second, we're buying things online that we were never going to buy online, right? Uh, so th these are fundamental shifts, working from home. Uh, I, I'm part of, uh, you know, a group where we have the uh, chief digital officers of the top 50 enterprise players. Uh, and everyone believes that they will never go back to exactly the way they were. Um, different companies based on sort of their profile feel, yeah, maybe 25% of people will continue to work from home to up to 50% in some cases based on if they're a pure tech company. Uh, they possibly can have 50% work from home. But there is no doubt in anybody's mind that it won't go back to exactly what they were doing earlier. Whereas in case of GFC, that fundamentally didn't shift at all. Uh, so there, is, there are big fundamental changes uh, to this. And Yana, lastly, now uh, there's a big time between now and when things truly become normal. Let's say it's nine more months till vaccine comes. Uh, companies need to figure out how they get to the other side and maximize their revenue for the next nine months. Uh, now, if you are a if you are a restaurant uh, provider, very very simple example I'll give you. In the past, you will seat all your people, uh, all your people who are inside your restaurant next to the window, so people who are walking outside can see that uh, your restaurant is and busy, so possibly it's a good restaurant. Now, if you have everybody sitting next to the windows, somebody will think it's too full. I don't think I don't, I don't want to go, go to this restaurant. This is a very fundamental shift. Such shifts are happening in everything, every part of decision-making. That's why I feel it's not like uh, GFC at all. Sure. 
Rajan, you mentioned uh, uh, this group of 50 enterprises and uh, the whole thought process about work from home. Do, do you think work from home is going forward is a response to building redundancy or a response to bringing down costs on a permanent basis? So I'll, I'll say first of all, actually, especially for a service provider to be able to get 90, 95% of our people work from home, it would never have been possible. In my wildest dream, I could not even think that we will get these approvals. Leave alone, get these in 10 days or so. Uh, and the reason that we were able to do that is because clients had no option. Uh, because they had no option, you know, we, we got these approvals. and. Now clients and us are realizing that actually we are able to do a lot of the work uh, in this uh, format. Uh, now, when things go back uh, to complete normal, uh, I'm not saying that clients will not want some of the people to come back. I mean, I think they will eventually want many of the people to come back. But we also now know that this new uh, format allows us to work more efficiently. Uh, obviously, it makes things efficient for individuals involved, especially in, in cities like Bangalore, Chennai, where they had to travel for long hours to reach office. Uh, maybe there is a better way of uh, organizing work where maybe they don't have to come to office every day or maybe not have to come every week and distribute work in a slightly different format which allows us to be even more productive uh, while working from home. So uh, the reason they did it was not cost. And I don't think uh, they will continue to do it only for cost. Because this is a fundamental change. Such shifts people don't make for cost. This was made because there was no option. And I think if they continue to do it, it will be because it will help them hire better people. It will help them get access to talent that possibly they may not have access to uh, and still be able to deliver efficiently. Uh, I think that's why they will continue to uh, live with some amount of uh, flexible work from home even when things become normal. Right. And, and I think uh, 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 an attached question to that is I think a lot of capitalists we have been speaking to have been very happy with the work from home experience that they've had uh, with the employees. And some of them have been talking of sort of building out virtual captives. Uh, uh, do you think, uh, you know, over the last year, last year or so, or last few years, we have seen a couple of large banks insource and so on and so forth. Do you think this sort of accelerates that trend of insourcing? Because uh, uh, from a work from home perspective, you do away with the large build outs and associated costs. Uh, do you see that as a trend if you just think out from an industry perspective? I would say a little early to call that uh, trend because uh, at one time, just about a month or so back, we were thinking that uh, this actually is a captive buyout opportunity. And there are obviously a lot of companies who are looking to exit captives. Maybe they, they, are, they need cash or maybe they don't feel the captive is part of their strategy. Uh, so I think uh, it's too early to call that out, but I would say that there are companies which believe that uh, a captive is a strategic uh, part of their, uh, you know, their arsenal, so to speak. In which case, obviously, they will uh, want to 
continue to have a captive. But in many cases, we are working with the captives because uh, getting access to talent is uh, very difficult, whether you're a captive or you're a SI like us. Um, so many cases, we actually are a provider into the captive. Uh, but because they have a captive, it allows us to work from their environment so they feel like we are working in their environment uh, under their controls. Uh, so I think it's early to call a particular trend uh, because they may also find that uh, it is more difficult because the skills keep on changing. And as a captive, it will be very hard for them to continue to be able to refresh the talent deck that they have. Because as a SI, we can do that. Uh, and that's how we have done it. And that's been a true differentiator for SIs, that throughout the shifts in technology, we have been able to refresh our talent deck and able to offer that with the right skills, experience, and mix uh, compared to a captive. So I think there will always be that sort of, the answer is not going to be black and white. Sure. Uh, I have another question from a participant. He asks, uh, how is the IT budget behaving uh, in during COVID versus GST? Uh, I, I, so I think in, in GFC, post-GFC, there was a significant cut in IT budget. Uh, I think as part of COVID, uh, the answer is dependent on the industry, uh, which industry you are on in. Uh, and it's not a universal X percentage cut uh, because there are industries like Tech is the answer to solving a lot of the problem. Healthcare is the answer to solving a lot of the COVID problems. Uh, insurance companies, for example, are actually doing very well. There are no automobile claims. Uh, so if you are an automobile insurer, you are making a lot of money. Uh, so this one is not universal. First of all, it is dependent on uh, the industry you are in. Second, uh, a lot of uh, companies will believe uh, and especially based on what they saw in 2000 2001 and you know 2008 that uh, if they invest more judiciously uh, right now they can actually do better than their competitors and technology will be part of any answer whether you are creating a new product you're creating a new service or a different way to reach your end consumer technology will be core to all of this uh, technology was not so core in 2008 and 9, uh, but now everything is about technology. So I don't believe that even if uh, you know there are overall budget cuts, uh, they will they'll be disproportionately less towards technology. Uh, more cuts may be in operations or other parts, uh, as I said, physical infrastructure, uh, but less to, towards technology because technology will be an answer to solving all the other problems. Sure, great. That's very helpful, uh, Rajan. Uh, thanks, Itan, Rajan, for all the uh, uh, all the help and uh, the discussion. Uh, happy to have you, and uh, it was a pleasure hosting you. Thank you. Thanks, Nitin. Thanks, everyone.